0: Thank you, Chloe and Zach, and good morning to all of you who are joining us on site and online. And again, I also want to welcome those who are uh, watching our live stream right now at the Lewis Estates Retirement Center. We're glad to have you with us here this morning as well. If you were with us last week, you know that we started a new sermon series on the book of, And remember? Habakkuk, right, you can say Habakkuk if you want because we grew up with that emphasization. but Habakkuk, and I'm going to slip up a few times again this week, but we're in this book of Habakkuk, week two. Now, Habakkuk is a minor prophet that uh, you may have heard of, perhaps not read uh, his entire book in the past, even though it wouldn't take you very long, because it's a rather short book. Now, because he's a minor prophet, that doesn't mean that he was short in stature, or that he was <laughs> under age or something like that. It, it actually refers to the length of the book. It's only three chapters, and so this is week two of a three-week series as we look at Habakkuk, an important book, written during sort of a pivotal time for the people and for the nation of Judah. You see, it's written during this season where some better-known prophets, like Jeremiah and some others, were were prophesying. But it was a time when people had become very, very corrupt and had become wayward from the Lord. And Habakkuk was a faithful man of God who, who likely served in the temple. And he saw how wicked everybody had become. And he felt like God was not doing a single thing about it. And so it created this burden within him. And he cried out to God to express this, these these questions of concern and these these questions of confusion he was experiencing, like uh, questions perhaps that maybe at some point in your life you have asked. Like, like God, why aren't you doing something? How can you just let this continue on and and as though you're turning a blind eye to it? God, I look at the absence of your presence in this moment and it feels like you don't care. God, why are you not acting for us? You promised that you would. So Habakkuk receives a reply from God as he cries out, as we learned last week. But this only actually added to the burden that he was feeling. Because God, in response, told him this. He said, Habakkuk, I want you to tell the people that I'm going to have to punish them because of their wickedness. And here's the plan for how that's going to happen. I'm going to use the Babylonians to get the job done very, very well. The Babylonians. Habakkuk would have been thinking, Whoa, whoa, whoa. That ruthless, wicked people? God, that's even worse. If your goal, God, is to reduce wickedness, I'm not sure why you're upping the ante by using the Babylonians and supposedly blessing them in the midst of this situation. And that's where we left Habakkuk last week. We left him asking a question of faith that now leads him today to make a choice of faith. Faith. A choice between placing his faith in the moment that he was experiencing or placing his faith in the character, in the promises of the God that he knew. And as we consider the choice, I, I was thinking about that this week as I was writing this sermon. It reminded me of, of this clock that, that hangs in my office. And so I have this clock, and Andrew, what time does that say? 10.30. Colin? Colin? No, it's, it's not Miller time. No, what, 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 that's later, man. Come on. What, what time? 10.30. Yeah, 10.30. Now, as we look at this clock, it tells us that in this particular moment that it's 10.30. But is that enough to let us know, for example, if this clock even works? Is enough for us to know this has any power at all? Like, can you see the hands move? just by looking at it, it tells you right now in this moment it's 10.30. But it really doesn't let you know if anything is actually happening. I can maybe take the face off of the clock and I could show you the insides of it, show you how it works, all the mechanics. But I don't know if that would help either because that would increase the complexity of, of how a clock works, if this even works in the first place. But my question is not how it works. My question I'm wrestling with God is if it works. I don't know about you, but for me, that would just further confuse me if I saw the inner workings of how that clock supposedly works. But what if I told you that not only does this clock hang in my office, but I can promise you that it works. I can't count the number of times a day that I glance at that clock And I look at the time, and in that particular moment, I trust what it tells me. And it gets me where I need to be on time. It makes sure that appointments end when they need to, and they start when they need to. It got me here on time. I was in my office preparing this morning, and I made it here on time because of this clock. I can promise you that it works. You now face a choice. A choice to say, well, all I know right now is it's 1030 And that's all that you know, and you can have choice of faith in that moment. Or you can have faith in my character and in my promise to tell you it works. When you look at it later, you can trust it. You see, when we face a crisis of faith, as we learned last week, there's different ways that people can respond to these crises of faith. Sometimes when they have a difficult, tough situation, they respond with this positive denial, or they pretend there is no clock. They pretend there is no problem that needs to be resolved. I'm just going to close my eyes until it's over and when everything goes back to being okay. But there's also people we learned last week who respond with angry rejection. Where God's not meeting their expectations. God's not proving himself to be who I thought he was. And so forget it. I'm not even going to look at the clock anymore. It doesn't even exist. I'm going to go find a different clock. Or there's a third option that we saw last week called persevering faith. We may not understand how things work. We may not even like what we're experiencing in the moment. But based upon the promises we've received and based upon the reliability of the clock in the past, we can have confidence to stand in faith for the present and the future. And that's where Habakkuk found himself. Habakkuk remained true to his name. Do you remember what his name means? Anybody remember that? It means to wrestle and to embrace. It means to wrestle with God, which is perfectly fine to question and lament and pour our hearts to God, but also to embrace him. And that's what Habakkuk chooses to do. He chooses persevering faith in God over the present situation in which he finds himself. And so as we now press deeper into chapter 2 of this book, and if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's found on page 764. I invite you to turn there on your your phones, your own Bibles if you like as well, Habakkuk chapter 2. And as we look at this chapter 2, God reveals three things that we can do if we choose to press into persevering faith and put persevering faith into action. And we read this in Habakkuk chapter 2. Verses 1 and 3. Begins with the words of Habakkuk. He says, I will stand up my watch and station myself on the ramparts or station myself upon the tower. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I will give to this complaint of mine. And then God speaks. And the Lord replied in verse 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. So what do we learn from that? What do we learn from it? What do we learn when life doesn't feel fair? What do we learn when it doesn't seem like God is fair when he's up to? What do we learn in this passage? We learn that the first step in practicing persevering faith, is what Habakkuk says in verse one. It says to stop and to listen. Verse one says, I will stand at my watch and station myself upon the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Basically, he's saying, I will remain the dutiful soldier. I will climb up the tower to my post, and I will stand at my post. And while the answer may still be some time off, I will look to the horizon. It may be a long time in coming, so I will scan the horizon, anticipating that God will answer. That there is an answer coming. And it may be a little ways off, and I'm going to look to the distance for it, but it will come. I will listen for what he will say in response to my questions. And here's what we need to know, especially when we're going through times when we feel like God is distant, or we feel like He doesn't care, or He's not doing something. The first thing we need to know is that even when it feels like that, God is relational. And God loves to speak to His children. He loves to speak to His children. I'm blessed to live in a house where we have young adult children around, and our granddaughter Lydia... And I I know that for Nadine and I, no matter what is happening in our lives, when they come home at the end of the day, whether they're coming home from daycare, from a a day at work, or from an exciting shopping trip, we just want to stop and listen. We want to know what's happening in their lives. We want to stop and hear what's taking place. God loves to listen and to speak to his children. And if we stop and listen will often hear him. They might wonder, how? how? How can I listen? How can I hear from God? And, and there's a few. There, there's many, many ways we can do it. A, a couple I'll mention to you. Like the first thing we think of when we hear the word listen is, is like an audible voice. Like you're hearing me right now. And, and does God speak that way? I, I think he does. By no means the most common way. I know means the most common. Some people think they hear God's voice probably a lot more than, than it actually comes. But I can tell you, I, I do believe it happens. I can think of my own life that there are two times when I, when I firmly, unwaveringly believe that God audibly spoke to me. And both of them were at very pivotal moments on a journey as he was moving Nadine and I from a previous life into this life of ministry he had called us to. Now, when I say audible, I don't mean like I heard him with my ears. I heard him louder than my ears could ever hear him. I mean, I heard him louder and clearer and more undeniably than my ears would ever let me hear him. And over time, it proved to be true. Everything that he had said came to be true, which gave confidence that I had not misheard. And there's not a single day of my life where I discount the fact that God spoke to me in a pivotal moment. But often, God will also speak to us through his word. Have you ever had a situation where you feel like a passage of scripture or perhaps a, a biblically based sermon was speaking right to you. Have you ever had those moments? God is speaking through his word, whether it's through a time of devotion, when we open his word and read his revelation, or, or when a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or, or a close friend or somebody at our one of our life groups opens a scripture and reads that and unpacks it with us, God can speak to us through those things as well. That's where he reveals so clearly his character and his promises. But God also can speak to us through circumstances and through other godly people as well. Just as we may have had a sermon or, or or a meme on Facebook that speaks to our moment with a passage of Scripture. Have you ever had a moment where it feels like, wait a second, I have another moment of choice. Was that a coincidence? Oh, is there something more going on there? You rarely ever hear me use the word coincidence because when you use the word coincidence, when you chalk things up to a coincidence, you're actually making a statement on a worldview because the word coincidence it essentially means that there are events that took place that have no relation to each other. It's just a coincidence. And sometimes I think coincidences can happen, but it's not a worldview that I choose to live by. I choose to live by a moment that goes, you know what? When, when these three pathways suddenly align in my life, i, I got to pause and take a look for that. And see, is God doing something in that moment? Because he can speak to us through situations and through people. He can speak if we stop and listen. So when we have questions for God, when we don't understand maybe what's going on, when we don't like what might be happening in our lives or the, in the world around us, what is the first thing we can do to practice persevering faith? It's not a trick question. It's on the board. What's the first thing we can do? We can listen. We can listen. I promise not to ask any trick questions today. So Habakkuk, or see, I did it. Habakkuk listens for God's answer to come. And it did. It did. And in the answer, God gave the second step. In verse 2, God speaks, replies, and gives us the second step to practicing persevering faith. You see, because once you've heard from God, you're going to want to make note of what God said. And so in verse 2 it says, "Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it." Now, why would God want us to write down his revelation? A couple of reasons probably. First of all, he knows us. He knows our nature, and he knows the nature of our enemy. What does it mean he knows us? Well, he knows that I'm not alone in going to the grocery store, standing in the aisle. What was that? A loaf of bread, container of milk, and a stick, stick of butter. That's right, that's, that's what it was. But we stand there and just blankly stare at the wall. You know, this so happens, we have these ideas and they just slip out of our minds so easily. The sad thing about this is my best sermons, no, my best jokes will never be heard. Because they come to me when I'm laying in bed at night. And I'm like, I'll remember that in the morning. And I forget it. And I'm disappointed. So now I keep my, my phone and my, my reading glasses beside my nightstand by my bed. So that I can write them down and I can share with you the wonderful jokes that come to me. But here's what I found. I don't know how many times the dean's rolled over and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, "Madly, My thumbs are just going crazy on my phone. I'm like, this is going to be hilarious tomorrow. And then I find out that what's funny at 3 in the morning is not always funny Sunday morning. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's okay. I write it down. I write it down. So whether it be a, a, a sermon, a joke, a person's name, a combination for a walk, the word of God that he's speaking to us, we have it in our nature to forget these things, to get distracted, to forget these things. But here's what else happens. Especially when it comes to the Word of God. We have an enemy that wants to steal God's Word from you. He doesn't want you to retain God's Word. This in part is what we, we learn in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4. In the parable of Sower, it talks about a farmer who's sowing seed into different types of soil. And as Jesus explains this parable to his disciples, he talks to them about how the farmer is God and the seed is the word of God that's being sowed into the soil, these, these different types of, of, of lives that exist in the world. And the goal of the farmer sowing the seed into a person's life is that that seed will take root. And that it will be nurtured and that it will grow. And as it grows, it will generate a harvest that leads to new life in that person and into people all around them. But the enemy comes and tries to steal it. The enemy comes and tries to steal the seed through different tactics so that you and those around you won't experience the new life that comes from having that word sown into your life. And here's what Jesus says in Mark 4, starting in verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown into them. Others, like seed sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with great joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time because the troubles and persecution of this world come and quickly steal it away. Still others, like seed, sown among thorny paths, And the worries of this world, the the deceitfulness of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth and desires for other things come in and they choke the word, making it unfruitful. But there's others. There's others who are like seeds sown into good soil. They hear it because they're listening. They accept it and they write it down. And it produces a crop. A crop some 30 and 60, some even 100 times. What was sown? How do we make the Word of God go deep into the soil of our lives so that we can experience new life? How do we do that? Well, whether you are prone to forget things, whether you're prone to to lose track because of times of trouble or because of doubt or, or, or the deceitfulness of the world around us, whether you're prone to forget the Word of God because you had it at one time but it just became so common as time went on, write it down. Make a record of it so that you will not forget it and you can allow it to go deep and not allow it to go stale in your life. And sometimes we say write it down, it can mean literally, you know, literally, we can write it down. I'm not a journaler. And I'm going to guess a large percentage of us here are not really excited about going home and starting a whole journaling program to write things down. Uh, It's a difficult discipline to learn for some people. Some people love it, naturally have done it. What I found works for me is I have uh, on my iPad, I have a digital five-year journal. And here's how that works. I I just open up the the, the app, and I just write three or four lines a day. Just point form, three or four lines a day, and I'm done. Including the time of processing and thinking, it takes me like two minutes. Sometimes I'll write a little more. Sometimes I'll write a prayer at the end, but usually a couple minutes a day. But here's the beauty of it. You do that consistently over a period of time, and it's a five-year journal, which means that when I come back to that same date a year later, the app prompts me and says, here's what you wrote a year ago. Here's what you wrote two years ago. Here's what you wrote three years ago on that same day. And it's this constant prompt and you can look back and see how things are moving. How in that moment you couldn't see much more than the fact that it was 1030. But now it's a year later and you can see that God was moving and working. And so much more is happening between then and now. And it furthers the revelation. I'm not a journaler, but that, that's, that's what I find to do. And here's what happened actually this week. I, I, was, I opened up my app and, and I was reminded this week of on, uh, it was on June 2nd, 2020 one of those little point form things I put down, said, talk to Zach about investing in him and our online presence during COVID. I just put that in there, June 2nd, 2020. And then we moved on. And all of a sudden, West Meadows at Home was born and grew and evolved. And over the last two years, I wasn't sure if it was gonna work. We didn't know how it was gonna happen If it was going to be an impact, if it was going to be a sort of a quick thing to fill in the blank, or it was going to continue on forever, we didn't know. But as I journal now, two years later, we see that West Meadows at Home has allowed us not just to keep the church community together during the time of COVID, but has allowed us to extend our reach around the world. Literally around the world. Countries around the world are people who occasionally and for a season repeatedly tune in and join us on Sunday mornings. We have people who are in lockdown situations because of COVID still today, like at loose T- State's Retirement Center, who are tuning in through West Meadows at Home. We've had over 60 people acknowledge that they have taken a step with Jesus, many for the first time, through West Meadows at Home. And we're going to continue to invest in West Meadows at Home, which we're going to talk a bit about at the town hall following the service here in the sanctuary, following the service today. And I was prompted, reminded of that when I opened up my journal because I wrote it down two years ago. Talk to Zach about something that could happen. Fast forward and we can look back now and say, God, you are so good. In the midst of COVID, when we didn't know what was going to happen, we didn't know which way was up, which way was down, how would we keep doing services, how would we keep doing much of it. We didn't know in the moment. But two years later, we look back and go, you are so good. You are so faithful. Because we listened and we wrote it down. And when you write it down, when you record it, you can then report it, as I have just done to all of you. I can report it to you, what has happened, and you can see that God's truth proves true. God was saying to Habakkuk, years later, write this down, because years later, when I prove myself to be just, when I prove myself to be true, I want it to be in writing so that everyone knows that I am a God of my word. So that everyone can have faith in my character and have faith in my promises when it feels like the situation is going to steal that from them. They can look back and say, no, I have faith in the character and the promises of my God. Now whether you literally journal that down or if you just figuratively do it, it can be through oral stories that you share within some traditions are great. At oral stories sharing traditions and stories through, through making videos, poetry, paintings, lyrics for a song, whatever it may be, write it down. Record it. Make a date in time when you listened and recorded it so that you can report it to others. Because it allows us to have the word to become rooted into our lives. And when it's rooted in our lives, it's hard for time to make it become dull, and it's extremely hard for the enemy to steal that word from us. Make sense? So when we have a question for God, when we don't understand what's going on, when we don't like what's happening around us, when we choose to practice persevering faith, the first thing we can do is, listen. And the second thing we can do is write. Write. We can write it down. And then the third thing God tells Habakkuk to do, and this can be the hardest. This one's the hardest one for me. We can wait. Verse 3. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. Wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. I'm not good with waiting. Anyone else not good with waiting? Yeah, some hands going up. Yep. Not good with waiting. Many people in our society struggle with waiting because we have sort of this instantaneous world that we live in now. And it shows through in some of our personalities a little bit. Like, for example, when Nadine and I go on vacation, we, have, we, we, try, we try to vacation together. We do. But we have different things we want to define that by. So we tend to, to go somewhere warm every winter. And Nadine is happy with a beach and a book. And she can just go sit on the beach in the sun all day and consume one or more books from morning to till the sun goes down, just sit there, anybody else like that, yeah, okay, who else is like me, you can make yourself do that for an hour or two, then your foot kind of starts tapping, you're like, what do you want to do, want to go somewhere, want to do something, I can do this for about two hours, knitting, and then I'm going to go do something, see you later, <laughs> anyone more like me? Yeah, I have a hard time waiting, just, just sitting there doing that. And, and this shows up in other areas of my life, too. I, I have, if I have a problem or a struggle in my life, it doesn't matter how big the issue is, if I've got a plan, if I've got something I can go do to take steps towards resolving that, I can handle pretty much anything. But if you ask me to wait for a plan, You ask me to stand in a moment where I don't know and I have to wait for somebody else to tell me how we're going to resolve that. It causes anxiety in me. Incredible anxiety. And I think this is not just a personality thing. I think it's actually a social aspect that exists within our society at this time, especially amongst the younger generation. Where the younger generation struggles with things like delayed gratification in this fast-paced world in which we live and this has been thoroughly studied, even back in 2019, uh, the Barna Research Group did a survey of 15,000 millennials over 25 countries, and they came across 15,000 over 25 countries. They found that a central aspect of the young adult experience was anxiety. And when they started to define, well, anxious about what? Anxious for what reason? It, it, it took many forms. It, it was like uh, anxious about making decisions, about pressure to succeed, uncertainty, uh, loneliness, dissatisfaction with life, um, uh, trying to understand myself and my place in the world. And that was all, be- that was 2019. That was before the pandemic. That was even before the pandemic hit. This was a reality. Uh, and what's the relevance of this to our, our issue of waiting? You see, this is about more than just a feeling of angst. The research came to show that this anxiety was actually a byproduct of unmet expectations. And when that seeped its way into a person's spiritual life, the relationship with them and God, when it seeped its way into the relationship with the church, the relevance of the church in my life, when a gap existed between the situation they were experiencing. And the outcome that was yet undetermined when they had a question but they had no answer, especially when it was a question like Habakkuk's, Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? Why aren't you helping, God? Don't you care, God? The end result of that, because of the unmet expectations, because of the lack of action that was taking place, filled people with anxiety. It's not unlike the burden that Habakkuk feels in chapter 1, verse 1 where it says he received a burden from the Lord that he cried out to God in the midst of. And that caring, fatherly voice of God responds, though. It responds, if you you feel that you're in that situation now or, or, or have been there in the past, or maybe you've been in there for a while, the fatherly voice of God speaks and listen to it. As he says, I know. I hear you. But trust me, I got this. Trust me, I've got it. The words of the psalmist in Psalm 46.10, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the entire earth. And this command to be still is not a call to inactivity. It's not a call to land on the beach and just kicking back and going, I guess you, guess you got it, God. It's not a call to inactivity. It is a call to passive activity. Uh, it probably sounds like an oxymoron. In, in some ways it is. Let me explain what that means. Passive activity. It's not an oxymoron. It means it's a call to stop striving on your own power. Stop striving according to your own plan. Stop striving and trying to resolve things on your own understanding. Instead, fill the gap between the question and the answer. Fill the gap with persevering faith in God. Fill the gap with persevering faith in God. Choose that posture of faith that says, I will be still before God because my activity is trusting in God trusting that while I may be still, he is not still. He's working. He's continuing to work. And that's what it says in verse 3. In the second half of verse 3, it says, For the revelation awaits an appointed time, and it speaks of the end, and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and it will not delay. There is no guarantee it will come right away. No guarantee it will come right away. Habakkuk waited. And he waited, and he waited. Do you know how long he waited for that to all come to fruition? Seventy years. From the time he received this word till the time that God fulfilled the promise, 70 years the people were taken into captivity. But that doesn't mean nothing was happening. God was working towards the appointed time. And this phrase appointed time comes from the Hebrew word moed. And moed means, the best probably analogy for us would be like a, like a woman in labor. Where there is an appointed time when that child will arrive. And there's not much that we can do to speed it up or slow it down. There's an appointed time in which it will arrive. And between now and then, we may not be able to see all that's taking place. We'll see glimpses and hints and evidence that something is taking place, but we certainly aren't able to see all of the development, all of the things behind the scenes taking place as that child grows in the mother's womb. But we await the arrival with anticipation that it will happen. We await the arrival knowing and believing that while we can't see all the things that are happening behind the scenes, it will come to pass. Kind of like my clock. What time is it now? I have two minutes. It's been working the whole time. We didn't see it working. We didn't know at 10.30 for sure if it was working or not. But at the appointed time, we can look back and say, God is working. We didn't even have to see the inner workings. As time passes, God proves himself to be true and just. And God reveals in Habakkuk's life that I do see I do know, and I do care. I know how wicked the Babylonians are. I know how difficult and hard this is going to be upon you and upon the people. And I am going to do something about it. Habakkuk, justice will prevail. You see, in verse verse 4, he says, I see the enemy. The enemy is puffed up, and their desires are not upright, God says. And he kind of continues for the rest of the book by basically saying, or the rest of the chapter by saying, don't worry, theirs is coming. Because we haven't got time to read it all today, but if you were to read the rest of chapter two from for the next fifteen verses, God pronounces five, declares five woes, five sorrows upon the nation of Babylon. He does know. He does see. He has a plan that needs to be worked out, but theirs is coming. Don't worry, Habakkuk, theirs is coming. Justice will prevail. We haven't got time to go through them all, but the five woes, in verse 6, we read the first one, that that through wealth and through the threat of violence, they have built up their empire. But God says, your victims are going to rise up, and your victims are going to plunder you. Continues, he says, you have built your kingdom out of pure wickedness. But the fact that you have a kingdom built of wickedness testifies against you and declares a death sentence upon you. In verse 12, he says, you've built cities based upon bloodshed. But I, God, will gain my glory when your kingdoms are turned to ash. He says, you have advanced yourself by abusing your neighbor, taking advantage of your neighbor. But every single thing you visit upon them will be visited back upon you and I will strip you of your glory. He says, these idols that you've trusted in, the things of this world that think give you power, They're going to prove worthless because when I come against you as the God Almighty, they will fail you and your nation will fall, God declares. God does see and he does know and he does care. And he ensures that his character and his promises will prove true. And that's further evidence by the fact that God sees another group of people in verse four. He starts off by saying, see, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. He declares these five woes against them. But the last half of it says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Who are the faithful? The faithful are those who wrestle with God, but embrace him. The faithful are those who wrestle with God, embrace him. And as they embrace him, they stop and they listen. And as they listen, they record. And when they record things, they have the ability to report things, to build faith within themselves and to build faith in those around them. But they listen, they write, and then they wait. And while they wait, they faithfully follow. You see, when life seems to be unfair, when God seems to be unfair, when we don't understand what's happened around us, why things are happening, uh, what to do about things that are taking place, What begins as a question of faith becomes a choice of faith. Faith in the circumstances of the moment or faith in the God who has proven his character and his promises to be true. In the concluding words of chapter 2 and verse 20, he provides the promise and the reassurance we need to help us make that choice. He says in verse 20, "...the Lord is in his holy temple." Let all of the earth be silent before him. No matter what situation you may be going through. No matter what it looks like. No matter how it may feel. Remember these three words. If you're watching online, you can type these three words in the chat. If you're with me, say them with me. But the Lord. But the Lord. But the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord still reigns. He is still in control. He is not defeated and neither will you be defeated. But the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. But the Lord is loving. He is for you, he is not against you. But the Lord is righteous, the Lord is true. The word of God will never fail, it will never leave you. But the Lord is in his temple. So let all of the earth be silent before him. Let our faith persevere, not in the situations, but in the Lord. And the Lord whom we can trust in his character and his promises and when we trust in his character and his promises, we will know. Because we've listened, we've written, and we've waited. We will know his character, and we will know his promises. The righteous shall live by faith. They shall not live by works. That requires us to see limits within ourselves. That even our own good, compared to God's work, really looks like wickedness. But that's not meant to discourage us. It's meant to reveal our need for him. Because the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. His faithfulness to us, to his promises, and to his promises that have been imputed to us as well. The righteousness that's been imputed to us as well. And that's what we remember as we come to the communion table. In a moment, we have the opportunity to gather around the table to respond to perhaps some of the things that the Spirit has been saying to you during this service a chance to come to this table to, to prepare our hearts to maybe, maybe make that course correction where if we have been going wayward from God and we hear him calling us back and say, I need to come back and stand with you, Lord. I have not been still in knowing that you are God because I've been striving on my own. It's this beautiful opportunity once a month we can come together to, to celebrate, to remember, but even to correct that course when need be. It's one of the greatest promises that God ever made that we can have confidence in is represented by the elements upon this table. His new covenant, where he made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be forgiven, to be made right, and to have a personal relationship with him. And so as we prepare now to to transition to the time of communion, I invite you if you join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come together today and prepare ourselves to come before you, come before these elements upon this table that reminds us of you Lord. I pray for any of those who may be here on site or online who feel like they're in that waiting zone Lord, they're feeling the anxiety maybe they're feeling the loneliness Uh, however that's defined Lord I, I pray if they if they have been keeping their eyes upon the situation in front of them Lord that right now you would help them to lift their eyes to lift their eyes to you in your holy temple and say, but the Lord. But the Lord is on his temple, in his temple, and I will trust in him. Lord, I pray for those who perhaps have allowed uh, what they feel like is a lack of answer from you. Or Lord, even those who have maybe received an answer, but they don't like what they heard. And maybe have rejected you or or wandered off on their own, choosing their own path. Lord, I, I pray for those right now too, that the fact that they're here listening right now proves that there is an anchor that has held them fast even though they may have wandered or tried to reject them. You, Lord, have not rejected them. You have not been unfaithful to them. And so I pray, Lord, in this moment that they would hear, they would hear you invite them to come back to confess those things. Lord, those who are with us who have perhaps never made that confession of faith, who have never said, thank you, Jesus for standing in the gap between the question and the answer. Lord, I had the question of of will I be good enough, of a purpose in life, of, of how can I ever be made right with God? And you were the answer, Lord. You stood in the gap and paid the price for our sins. We thank you for that. We remember that and we celebrate that as we come to this time of communion. Heavenly Father, in this moment of silence right now, I just pray that you would speak to your people as we prepare our hearts to gather around this table. We come to this sacred table not because we must, but because we may. We come here to testify not that we are righteous, but that we sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be true disciples. We come not because we have any claim to heaven's rewards, but because in our frailty and in our sin, we stand in constant need of heaven's mercy and of its help. Not to express an opinion, but to seek the presence and to pray for the Spirit, that he may speak, guide, that we may experience forgiveness, healing, and restoration. For all these things we remember and we say thank you now to Jesus for his sacrifice. We invite all who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have repented of their sins and who have decided to follow Christ in newness of life, to come and join us at this table. On the way in, hopefully you received the, the elements. If not, you can just raise your hand and an usher will bring them to you now that you can participate with us in this time of communion as we come to the Lord's table. And as we do, as the Gather Church here at West Meadows and with churches around the world on the first Sunday of each month. We come together to remember and to reflect upon the words of Paul as he wrote to the church of Corinth. When he reminds us of this, he said, The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this remembrance of me. I invite you to join me in a prayer. The bread. Heavenly Father, we say thank you that, that you chose to live among us. You chose to be the revelation, the incarnation that that not only revealed the Father, but made it possible that we could be in personal relationship with the Father. Remember now, Lord, for the body in which you were born, you live you ministered, but ultimately you sacrificed in our place. Say thank you, Lord, as we remember. Amen. Let us do this remembrance. as we continue to read in the same way he took the cup after supper and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again let us pray for the cup Heavenly Father we again come before you with hearts of gratitude and thanksgiving hearts that remember and cannot nearly find words capable of expressing how you gave your life through the shedding of your blood, that we may have life and find it through you. Lord, we as those who strive to live by righteousness, not by our own righteousness, but live by your righteousness that is granted to us through the shedding of your blood, we, Lord, say thank you. And again, renew ourselves in the commitment to live for you in these days ahead. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's remember it together.